I'm Preston Elliott from the Preston and Steve Show on 93.3 WMMR, and you are listening to the Travel Mug Podcast with Matt O'Donnell. Preston Elliott is a great friend of mine. We share a love for golf, loud music, and drumming. Preston used to drum for a highly successful cover band in the Midwest. They were loud, so was he, and that did irreparable damage to his hearing. First the drumming, then the band, then his diagnosis with tinnitus. On the travel walk, here we go. We are here in the 93.3 studios with Preston Elliott, finally joining me in the podcasting world. Hello, Preston. Hello. We've tried to do it a couple times. Sorry, man. Finally available. We are here together, and we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that you and I have a lot of interest in, which is drumming and noise yeah, yeah. <laughs> and eardrums. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's. Uh, I know you wanted to talk specifically about uh, hearing and drumming and all that stuff, so I'm well-versed in all of it. All right, so this is what sparked the idea. It was an Instagram post from you probably about a month or two ago. And here's the picture. <laughs> I'll, I'll post this on Instagram right. and Twitter, but I'll, I'll explain. I'll, I'll describe it and you explain, all right? So, okay. so it's Preston as, I'm going to guess, 20 yeah. years old? Yeah, okay. I, was, I was right about that time. Shirtless, yeah. yep. nipples exposed. Uh, drumming, uh, yeah. and he looks like he's on stage with Motley Crue. There are spotlights behind him and ahead of him. His hair is flopping all over the place, and he's got a massive kit in front of him. And I'm wearing uh, spandex shorts and uh, and wristbands as well, which were a thing of the 80s, you know, of course. the. Uh... So I saw that, and I'm like, mm-hmm. Preston Elliott used to be a rock star. <laughs> now he's a radio star, but we got to talk to him about this. Uh, you played uh, drums live on stage with Steel Panther, a couple of times, and they called you. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to bring somebody you probably know on the stage right now. I like to refer to him as Tommy Tom Tom Thompson. That's officially my Steel Panther name, <laughs> okay. yes. So in the band, because they all have really cool names. And so, yes, I'm like, you got to give me a name. So they came up with Tommy Tom Tom Thompson. You also did some drum offs with some real good players like quest love from the roots here in philadelphia i'm gonna be on the red kit over there if you don't mind because i've kind of calibrated it to me okay is that okay i'll right. i'll play the brand that i don't endorse <laughs> don't take any pictures what do you, that red one is the one i do endorse. oh really man mike portnoy used to be in dream theater which i was here for which was fantastic what have i what have i done here well the first thing mike said to me is he goes hey man how you doing you're going down <laughs> the guy's amazing he's uh yeah that that was pretty i was insanely nervous that day and i hadn't i don't play that much anymore i've back in those days in my 20s i was i was a pretty decent uh, drummer i think technically wise uh and so when mike was going to be coming in on the show and he's one of the greatest rock drummers out there Absolutely. period in ability uh, and Casey said, you got to do a drum off. I'm like, man, there's no way I'm doing a drum off with that guy. But I went and I thought about it for a day or so. And I'm like, when am I ever going to have an opportunity like that? I should definitely do it. I rewatched it a couple days ago and you did really good. So Thanks, I want you to know. Thank you. We, well, we're, you're... we're all very proud of you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I've watched video of you. You are a very accomplished drummer as well. Not, not as good as you. Okay. So, so that's what we want to talk about at first is your life as a cover band drummer. But what I want to first ask is, why did you play drums and what age and all that stuff? At what age? I'll tell you, it was before I was in kindergarten. I wanted to play drums. There was something about 
the drum kit, the way it looked, and obviously just beating on things is very it's it's the first instrument really that anybody does. Any anytime you clap your hands, you 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 know, slap on your thighs or whatever it makes some noise, it's it's uh it's rhythmic, it's it's percussive. And I just always had a really primal attraction to it. And when I was a kid, before I was even in kindergarten, like I said, my mom bought me like one of those paper drum sets with the paper drum heads okay, on okay. it. And I just absolutely loved it. And I was always obsessed with it. I would take pots and pans in the kitchen and take spoons and bang on them and set up my own little drum set. So it was early on for me to even understand why I wanted to be a drummer. It was just ingrained in me. So by the time I got to about... I think it was third or fourth grade. Uh, my parents bought me a real deal drum kit. They you remember found, what kind it was? Yeah, they they found it used. It was a 1964 Ludwig mm. white pearl, uh, you know, finish on it. It was beautiful. It was awesome, and it had the year stamped on the inside of the shells. That's why I remember what awesome. year it was. So it was vintage. It was awesome. So it's the kind of you take the heads off and you'd smell the wood. And it oh was yeah, like, oh. it had a musty smell to it. Yeah, it was great, and I like. Like an idiot, years and years later, when I had my infatuation with like Neil Peart and a really, really big drum set, I gave, I sold that to a friend and I started piecing together a bigger drum set. And now, years later, I pleaded him to let me have it back, and he never would. Oh, so wow. I, I'll, I I'll did never the same thing one. with my first set, did but you? it wasn't, it wasn't really a nice one. So yeah. I'm not at a loss. Did you, did you ever get formal training? I did. Yeah. So uh, my first lessons were. About that time, my parents got me that that drum kit when I was in third or fourth grade, and I just took one or two lessons, and then uh, we moved from uh, at the time we had lived in South Carolina, and then we moved to St. Louis, which I did I did the bulk of my growing up there. And when I got into uh, sixth grade, I started taking lessons at a drum shop, and my lessons continued um, all the way up until about high school. I, I you know I I worked really hard at it. It's, are, are these rock lessons or were they just fundamental lessons? little bit of both. So I did uh, snare drum work, rudiments, and things like that, and the basics of that, and learning how to read music as well. And uh, and then it went on to, uh, to learning rock, because I made it clear that that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to play rock music. So really great book called Realistic Rock by Carmine Apice. Oh, yeah. I, I think I had the same book. He oh. was in Vanilla Fudge. Vanilla Fudge. He and plays his brother, I, who is a big influence of me in Black Vin- Sabbath. Yeah, Vinny yeah, Apice. And, uh, and yeah, he played with Rod Stewart and, and, uh, and Ozzy Osbourne and so forth. But he wrote this really great book, which was very, very basic in how to piece together great rock rhythms. And it was written, the staff was very large, and it was written on, so it was easy to read. And uh, I think it was last year he came through town and we had him on the show, and I still have my original Realistic Rock oh, really? book. And I brought it in, and it had all the notes from my teacher of, like, you know, the dates of what sure. he wanted me to rehearse and when he wanted me to learn these particular exercises. And Carmine signed it for me. And he was actually going through it, and he's like, oh, yeah, I remember when I wrote this part, and this is a thing sure, that, sure. that 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 uh, John Bonham did, and I wanted to write that down. And so, yeah, I had formal training, and then I, I played all through junior high and high school. I was in marching band, orchestra, symphonic band, jazz band, jazz labs. I took music theory and all that stuff. The majority of my senior year was all taken up by music classes. Now, real quick, you used a traditional grip, which is the left hand is different from the right hand, which is more like a marching band style, which is so you can hit the snare drum a little easier. Is that Yeah, I, I do sometimes. I find it to be fun. I got a pair of sticks with me right here. So, um... When I started playing jazz in high school, 
I started to adapt that uh, that sticking, and um, I only do it for some songs. Most of the time, I, I play the match grip. If yeah, I'm that's just what playing, I do. I'm a basher. Oh yeah. If if you're gonna get straight in to play some rock groove, you got You got to yeah. play both. It's a baseball hands. grip, basically. Yeah, totally, exactly. So, but I like when I'm going for a little more finesse. I'll turn it over okay. to to a, a traditional. Yeah. When did you join a band? And I'm talking about like an actual band. Actual band. Uh, my senior year in high school, the summer before my senior year, uh, I joined a real band. I played with buddies sure. leading up to that, but a working band was the summer before my senior year in high school. Uh, I joined this band. They were called the image and these guys were already, a few of them had been in a, a former established band. That band broke up and they wanted to start a new one. So it was two guys that were older than me. And I had heard through their neighbor, a guy who was my age who played keyboards, hey, we're looking for a drummer. These guys are looking for a drummer. You want to come over and jam? And so we did. Were you nervous? Yeah, I was really nervous. This, this is a working band. I was terrified, man. I never played with anybody that ever got any gigs. But you nailed it, right? Yeah, I did pretty good. Did I you twirl some sticks and try to impress him with that? Were you just trying to, like, I don't want to mess up? Oh, no, I was trying to impress him. Yeah, okay. I, I tried to show off. I'm like, you guys, guys play any Rush or anything like that, you know? <laughs> Uh, so, and then they were looking for a bass player. My friend played bass. So three of us were still in high school. And then the other two, uh, were in, uh, were, had graduated and were just, you know, working jobs and working musicians. So, uh, I played in that band and eventually we needed another, uh, member to come in. We needed a strong vocalist. And I knew a guy who I went to high school as well. That was a really good singer. So we brought him on board. So there you go. We were a six piece band, which is a pretty good sized band. You're 17, 18 years old. Yeah, yeah, I was 17, 18, and we started playing in bars at that age. Play? Where? What'd you play? Oh, what's, oh man, what songs? Uh, we played everything from, in, in the beginning, we were playing things like Brian Adams and Summer of 69. Summer of 69, yeah. absolutely. And things that were on the radio at the time. We were just trying to be a pop, pop slash rock band. So in the earlier days, we kind of leaned towards radio hits like that. And then the band was, we were together for five years, but in the latter part of it, we started rocking harder and we started playing more Judas Priest ah. and, and then bands like Poison, these pop metal bands started popping up. So we were playing, you know, Poison and Motley Crue and, uh, and Dokken and oh, things man. along those lines. Yeah. Dokken, George Lynch. Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. He was a shredder. Under lock and key. Yeah. Yeah. So Tooth we. the nail. And we had a really good guitarist, so that was that was cool. And and the eighties, that was the time of guitar the guitar hero. The guitar hero. Yeah. I totally missed that day. Yeah. Uh so we were playing that stuff and we wore the garb and we had big teased hairdos. And because take a look at the picture again, I'll, I'll be posting it. You, your hair was flying all over the place. Yeah, I was. Uh, that was probably later because I was really sweaty, so all the product had run out of my hair. <laughs> I was hair. wondering if that was like some kind of oil product that you applied beforehand, like <laughs> like Alex Van Halen or something. No, no, we literally would. I or at least I would. I would hang my head upside down after a shower, and I would fill it full of mousse, and I would dry it upside down with a hair dryer. And then spray it with hairspray. Because at that time, like, Bon Jovi was king, and sure. they had really big hair. And then you had these bands that had gigantic hair coming out, like Cinderella, oh, sure, you know? Sure. And and the look was was ever-evolving, so we just we went along with it. And, and you played shirtless all the time, or is that just when you got too hot? I got so sweaty that I would have to take my shirt off. I mean, how uh, long would you play? Like, a couple hours or we'd, longer? We'd, we'd do four sets, so four 45-minute sets with a 15-minute break. So, no, we'd do four hours, four hours a night. 
two, three nights a week. And then we try to find some time to rehearse in between there. I mean, it's like being a long-distance runner for those who have never, might not have played drums long enough to experience exhaustion. But it really is just grueling. It took me a while to figure out how to pace myself because I'd, I'd try to really, you know, play hard. And, uh, and I would, you know, I'd burn out by the end of the night. I could, you, you never know, you could get a cramp, sure. get blisters, things like that. And you can't play anymore. And you've got to, no matter what, you have to play. So it took me a little while to figure out how to pace myself biggest let's throw out three or four biggest influences in terms of drummers uh number one is neil neil peart from rush i was just fascinated with rush as far as the drumming style went so i he's kind of he was like my one and only biggest influence now most people would say bonham that are in the rock world and i liked john bonham uh i just wasn't crazy into led zeppelin itself so i didn't really go too deep into the catalog so he wasn't an early influence to me uh keith moon because he was just crazy man he just threw it all out there he just he just he just you and you know as a drummer absolutely he just he just was a mess he never had a hi-hat you you probably know that he just hit cymbals all yeah and it's and he would play his cymbal cross stick over Mm -hmm. to his left side which was really weird Uh, and when he and pete townsend when either of them would lose their place one or the other would just start going nuts and yeah. just like be loud, yeah. And they, no one would know they made a mistake. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I um, let's see other influences throughout the years as I as I uh, as I progressed as a drummer, I started um, uh, gravitating towards more jazz oriented drummers and and guys who played like that. So there's a drummer named Steve Smith who was with Journey, but oh, yeah, yes, but he. Unbeknownst to Journey fans, he was a very accomplished jazz drummer. They were uh, Santana's backup band before they were Journey. Well, yeah. So, well, Neil Sean was in uh, Journey, and he was only 15 years old when he joined. And so was Greg Raleigh, who was the original lead singer of Journey before mm-hmm. Steve Perry. There are a couple albums they were on together, but they were they were a kind of an offshoot of of Santana. And they were jazzy in the beginning. Yeah, they were very or jazzy. Brassy. Yeah, their first album didn't do anything because it was too progressive. So. But I'd say, yeah, mainly, you know, Keith Moon and, and uh, Neil were my big influences. I got mine here. I want to just yeah, see what you it. think about him. So John Bonham, and it's because of the power. Yeah. He he drove the band. Love, yeah. I don't know if people are more of a Jimmy Page fan, but, you know, his, his volume was always <laughs> off the charts. Listen, I've heard Robert Plant himself say in interviews that the sound of Zeppelin came from it John did. Bonham. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Dave Lombardo for Speed. Slayer. Oh my God, that's yeah, that's beyond me. The footwork, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy fast. Tommy Lee for style. Okay, although I mean, I think he's an underrated drummer because Too Fast for Love, the debut, Motley Crue, he just knocked it out of the park on that album. It was just great. And he and you can you can hear Bonham in his drumming as yes. well. He yes. he really loved John Bonham. But you're right, he was he's underrated. Uh, he he was straight to the point. He drove a groove. Uh, but he did some things, if your ear was paying attention, that were difficult technically. And plus he had that marching snare drum. That sure, because he was in a marching band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. And then I, I'd say probably Danny Carey oh. from Tool for just the complete package. I think he's like Neil Peart, but even better. I, he, I hate to say that to, to a Neil Peart fan. But. No, no, no. I, I know what you're saying about uh, Danny. Danny plays exactly what he wants to, but he leaves a little bit of room for improvisation in there. Where Neil is like, he's like a by the books. Yeah, he's he's like a, a blueprint. It's schematics. It's exactly the way it's going to be this way every single time. So, yeah, but, hey, but that's I love actually Danny Carey. Oh, you know what? Other influence. I told. Yeah. How did I miss this? Um, 
Uh, Stuart Copeland. Oh, I love I love when he gets on that ride bell. And yeah. Just, ding, 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 ding. And his hi-hat work. Is... I think he's the driving force of the police, even though he didn't write many songs. But the drums were always guiding the song. Yep, I agree. All right, so we could geek out on, like, music forever. Yeah. we got to take a break. We come back. We're going to talk about some of the after effects of drumming for so long. We'll be right back on The Travel Mug. Back with The Travel Mug, Preston Elliott, 93.3 WMMR, Preston and Steve show every morning, 6 a.m. Yeah, yeah, we generally six a.m. However you feel. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> no, the, the however it feels when we quit, when we end. That was like like today was like ten forty, and some days it's eleven oh five, and other days it's ten thirty. Or we're technically supposed to end at ten. Yeah, but yeah, you, but, you yeah. know, it, yeah. it is what it is. Yep. So I want to talk about a condition you have, but before I do, I, I forgot to ask you: you make a lot of money when you're in that cover band? No, no, really, not a mo- not a lot of money at all. Uh, in fact, I was uh, I supplemented that by being a food bar attendant at a restaurant. Uh, I was only twenty something years old, uh, you know, right around twenty years old. So money, it was it was more about the party. Do it for the love of the music and the party and the love of the ladies at the time. So that was uh, that was in the day of like you know groupies and things. So sure, oh, sure. it was so much fun. See, I, I, my band in high school, we were like metal slash hardcore and didn't the, the ladies didn't necessarily gravitate towards that type of music today i think they do well that, and that's why pop metal was so great that's why def leopard sure. and and motley Crue and poison they were just gaggles of women all the over the place out, yeah, yeah it was awesome yeah. all right so tinnitus is yes. the perception of noise or ringing in the ears caused by related hearing loss uh could also be from an ear injury circulatory system disorder basically a lot of people who play in bands get it. Uh, some people who have it or had it, Ludwig von Beethoven, Eric Clapton, Jeff Gordon, the race car driver, Rush Limbaugh, the radio uh, host, Ozzy Osbourne, Pete Townsend, mm-hmm. Will I Am, Neil Young, the list goes on and on and on, yep. plus Preston Elliott. Yeah, yeah, I had it uh, officially diagnosed about, mm, I want to say about 13 years ago, 13, 14 years ago. And uh, without question, it's from um, from loud noise exposure. Did you ever use earplugs? No. No one did back then? No, nobody did. And we used to use uh, side fill monitors. So you don't really so see you them. You hear the band. Yeah, right? you really don't see them anymore. So we had wedge monitors, which sit on the floor, and they point up at you, and they're really powerful speakers. And then side fill monitors, which came from the sides of the stage. And I have one sitting right next to me, to my left, for years and it just it's so i could hear the band because they're the pa and the uh, uh the amps are pointed at the audience so while the sound is going in that direction i'm sitting behind everybody i need to hear it so you have these speakers pointed at you that has the guitars the bass and the vocals all coming through that and I'm playing acoustic drums, which a lot of people don't realize are very, very loud. There's no volume button. I mean, you create your own volume. That's exactly it. So I need to hear the music above my drums as well. So after years of playing in clubs and some really tight, cramped spaces as well, uh, I, I got some really nasty overexposure to sound, and it's permanently damaged my hearing. So when you go to a concert... Maybe those who are listening, you, you come home and your ears are ringing the next day. Tinnitus is when they don't stop ringing. And when do you think that happened? Uh, the, when I noticed it was probably about 
maybe 16, 17 years ago, I'd, uh, I'd realized that my, you know, I'd come off of the air and I'd be... And this is when you were doing the morning show here in Philadelphia. Yeah, yeah. now I remember years past uh, playing a show and getting done back in, in, the, in the band days and my ears would be ringing or going to a concert and my ears would ring and eventually it would subside and you didn't notice it anymore. But there was a time, because in radio as well, you wear headphone monitors uh, because when the microphones go on, the in-studio monitors mute so you don't get feedback on your, on your microphone. So you wear these headphones, and if you're not careful, you can slowly and surely start to turn that volume up over time, and you don't realize how loud you, you have those in your ears. Because the louder it is, uh, the better you can get an idea on the mix on the radio, the signal that you're sending out. So about 16, 17 years ago, I noticed that my ears were just ringing all the time. It wasn't so obtrusive that I couldn't hear people or things like that. It was just kind of odd, and I thought, well... Maybe like a concert, you know, I'm wearing these headphones all the time. Maybe if I, you know, if I take a vacation or if I'm off for a month or so, the ringing would go away. Well, when I found out that it doesn't was when we left our former radio station, Y100, and I had a couple of months of not working in between there and coming here to to MMR. Um, And that's when I realized the ringing didn't go away. During that period where I wasn't listening to loud music, I wasn't playing my drums, I didn't have my headphones on, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, I have no idea what this is. I better go get my hearing checked out and see if there's something going on. I had never heard of tinnitus before. I just went to see if I had some kind of hearing loss, and um, sure enough, they told me, and they broke the news to me, that this is permanent, and that ringing that you hear in your ears will never go away for the rest of your life. There's no cure for it. Uh, they ruled out any kind of um, viral infection, issue or yes. infection that I might have and realized that it was from noise exposure. And it has to do with the, the hairs uh, in your ears because they're, they're – and I've forgotten the name. I don't know if they're cilia or whatever. They're, they're hairs the yeah, that, that uh, vibrate, and uh, they're essentially they're, essentially they're kind of like nerves. And uh, they become um, stimulated so much that they never stop moving – and they create this this high pitch squeal, this ringing uh, that that they interpret as sound, and and you hear it in your head all the time. So any time that it's quiet, like right now, I can hear it clearly. When you were diagnosed, I'm sure there was a period where you were like, "What have I done to myself?" Oh yeah, yeah, most definitely. You know, I I realized, well, that was way to go, press. You know, <laughs> you, you probably you should have known better. You know, I, I had seen warnings throughout the years of protect your hearing and so on and so forth. But I hadn't really taken it seriously. And, uh, and yeah, so I was like, okay, well, what's next? Um, and there are, there are quote-unquote treatments for it, um, at least for uh, if – because some people, the sensation can be so um, – it can be so annoying to them. Some people go as far as it, it drives them mentally over the top, and some people have taken their own lives because of it. Uh, I don't have it to that level. I, it's there, and I've dealt with it. But there are ways that you can cope with it. So I'll show you this, Matt, and I've got my phone out here. When I sleep at night, I listen to this. I have an app on my phone. And essentially that's that's what that's we called brown noise there? Yeah, this particular one's brown noise, but essentially it's white noise, which is a whole bunch of frequencies played at the same time together and creates this kind of static sound or hiss sound and while that's playing it actually tunes out the the uh the squealing the the uh the ringing in my ears cancels things out cancels out so i can't hear that and that way it makes it easier for me to sleep i'm not 
I don't wake up and I hear that squealing. It's, and, and I've gotten used to, you know, hearing this noise while I sleep. It's like some people who like to sleep with a fan on or something. Which you, I think you used to do before I still these do. apps came out. I have both, yeah. And I did that before the app came out. I, I, the fan was a way to go, but now I have this. I Actually, I was, I was out of town somewhere staying in a hotel, and I realized that I couldn't get to sleep. And it was at the time that smartphones had just started to become mm-hmm. ubiquitous. And I'm like, ooh. Maybe there's an app, you know? So I went in and I found a fan app and I turned it on and I'm like, oh, thank God for that. You so, can't sleep without some sort of ambient noise. It's, it's hard to get to sleep, yeah. Uh, it, it would be difficult. Or if this, uh, on occasion that uh, I forgot to plug my phone in and, it, and the battery dies in the middle of the night, I'll like wake up immediately just after the sound goes off. Anything else that's different in your life because of um, well, the condition? I, along with the tinnitus, I do have... Um, I have uh, moderate to severe hearing loss. I went to um, uh, University of Pennsylvania Hospital not too long ago. I had another auditory test done. And so I, um, it's to the extent where uh, if I'm at a party and there's a lot of people talking, I have a hard time hearing people. And, and I may just check out. I may just go find a spot that I can be by myself for a little bit because it's too hard to carry on a conversation and to continue to ask people to ask people to say, you know, repeat, I'm sorry, what did you say? And then a second and a third time, I still don't hear it. I feel like a jerk doing that. And uh, so I kind of check out. If I'm watching a movie at home and I don't want to miss anything, I put subtitles on. I have to. Uh, or, I'll, or I'll be rewinding constantly. Your so, kids are able to still watch the movie and say, oh, Dad, why do you have to have those up? They're okay with it. They, they know because I, I ask them. So anybody who has a higher pitch registered voice, like I wouldn't have to ask you to repeat yourself. But a lot of females and younger uh, kids, I, I miss what they're saying because where my free, the, the loss in my hearing is in that frequency. So it's tough. You know, It makes it a little bit difficult. Another thing about tinnitus uh, that people may not realize, well, you know, so you have a little bit of hearing loss. You just have to have things louder. Certain frequencies are painful. Mm. So if I hear a, a, a higher shrill sound, I have to cover up my ears because it physically hurts. Wow. And so that would be a, uh, an emergency vehicle going by with sirens on. Uh, if I have my windows down and I'm driving and a semi is going to be driving by me, I roll the windows up uh, because it hurts. Or I cover up, I keep one hand on the wheel and cover up the other ear. Um, and the way that was explained to me that tinnitus can affect you to, uh, to describe the sensation is it's almost like an exposed nerve on a tooth. If the, oh, if, if it hits hurts. the right spot, yes. bang, it hurts. And so that's how it works in your ears as well. Now, Preston, I don't want you to be preachy here, but everywhere you turn, when you're walking around, people have their earbuds in, particularly children. Mm-hmm. I mean, any thoughts you want to throw out there on them? Um, if you wear earbuds, I would say, I would suggest that don't listen to them any so loud that you can't hear what somebody is saying who's speaking to you. Uh, if they, if they're mouthing and you're seeing nothing, then you've got it way too loud and, uh, you know, continued exposure to that. Eventually it's going to get to you. Uh, if you don't get tinnitus, you certainly can get hearing loss from it as well, but it's hard, man. Listen, you're listening to Slayer. <laughs> There's only one way to listen to Slayer. It's loud, you know. Yes. So yes. it's it's difficult, but I, you know, try to try to get your kids started early uh, on listening to music at a lower level. And if you start taking them to concerts, try to get them to wear earplugs. But it's important because hearing hearing issues are permanent. 
They are absolutely permanent. You hear about cochlear implants and things like that for people who maybe were born without uh, the ability to hear. It, that's a whole different ballpark. It doesn't work for everybody, for people who have gone through hearing loss. I mean, it does in some cases. My father-in-law has a cochlear implant because he had a, a noise exposure thing. He was an engineer in the, uh, in the Air Force, and he was exposed to loud music or loud noises all the time. But a lot of this stuff is just, it's permanent. And by the time you're in the twilight of your life, and you can't hear your grandkids speak or your friends or it's really, really difficult to communicate with strangers, uh, it's not worth it. When we come back on the Travel Mug Podcast, we're going to geek out again, but on drumming. We're going to share our favorite rudiments. Ooh. All right, I'm going to put my earplugs Yeah, in. I think I have some earplugs, actually. I'm, so. I'm going to put my cuffs All right, all right, we'll be right back. Back with the Travel Mug podcast, back in the Preston and Steve studios here with Preston, who is going to share with us his favorite rudiments on my snare drum, and then I'm going to do it on a tom. So, Preston, take it away. What's your favorite rudiment? Um, you know, my favorite, absolute favorite? Sure. I don't know. Uh, I mean, everybody loves the paradiddle, you know? How can you not sure. love the paradiddle? So, you already played it? Yeah, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right. All right. Which is great because if you split it up between two different sounds, instead of just playing it on one, so I'll play on the rim of the drum, and it's... And you can bring it all around the, the drum kit. And so on. So I like that one. How That's my you? favorite, too. So you want to hold this? Yeah. Yep. My second favorite paradiddle or rudiment is this. It's sort of like a mismatch of the regular paradiddle, but it's moved... Yes. Like, okay, so it goes like I this. I call them inside or outside. In fact, I'll play it on two yeah. drums so you can really hear it. Yep. So what I'll do is I'll do a double bass roll like this, and then I'll play ah. it like this. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I always called that an inside paradiddle. Okay. Because the regular is... But if you go... And start that way. I call it inside. And then there's an, um, then I, what did I call this one? Like on top. So you can start with the right, right and, and go. So it's. So two, three, four. Right. Oh man, I haven't done this well. One, two, three, four. I messed that up. one yeah. sounds more tribal to me. You know, yeah, it's very yeah, yeah. Uh, just makes me want to like go put on some kind of mask and build a fire. And <laughs> <laughs> but I like beef. I always like that one the best. The one you just did had a little different feel to it on the back. This is my favorite, uh, third favorite, okay. and I think I, I call it the six beat paradiddle. Okay, but you can play it in four, and it kind of like moves. It snakes around a beat. Okay. So it's uh, just two on the, uh, one on the right, one on the left, two on the right, two on the left. Okay. So that adds up to what? Six? Yeah. <laughs> so it goes like this. That's very Bonham-esque. It is? Very Bonham-esque. Sure, like sure. Give it, um, give it a go. Uh, so it's, um, you go, oh, wait. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, I also like just flams as well. Um, so if I'm like, uh, just play, and a flam for those who don't know is 
like that. It's one note. It's got what's called a grace note in it. So it's it's meant to play as one note, but it's a little. It sounds a little bit more full than that. You have that. So. like that sound and you can do it between drums too you know i love beats that sound like two people are doing them yeah yeah you know, that's Absolutely. one of them and there's things like seven stroke roll so if you play that a bunch of times in this session that's not very clean but it's been a while <laughs> Those are fun. That's pretty fresh. Thanks, man. Yeah. Hey, let's take out the Travel Mog podcast with a nice little beat between you and me. You ready? Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming, Preston. It's great, man. It's really cool talking about stuff like this. Appreciate it, man. You're a good friend. I love jamming with you. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. You you lead it off. Okay. Uh, I'm on the Tom. You're on the snare. See you later, everyone.